So a couple weeks ago now, I was, uh, I was going through a shed, kind of cleaning out some stuff that I didn't need anymore, finding stuff that I thought, oh, okay, well, that's where that was. I've been looking for that for two years. And uh, I came across from when my wife and I had been, uh, been on a fishing trip out in Montana a couple years ago, uh, I came across a canister of bear spray thought, okay, you know, you know, what can possibly go wrong with this? Uh, and, uh, and so I picked the bear spray up and looking at it, I'm like, you know, I wonder if this stuff like even works anymore. It's been in here for a couple years. And, and uh, uh, if you've been here for more than like one or two weeks, you know that I'm slightly accident prone. And so you know I should have just stopped at this point and everything would have been much better. Uh, but I, curiosity got the best of me and so I took it outside and I thought, I wonder what this is even like. And, and I sprayed it and wow, that stuff, it's like, it's like literally a fire extinguisher, a pepper spray. It is intense. Um, and I know it's intense because when I sprayed it, the wind blew back. Yeah. And so there I am, you know, I, this is in the mountains, there I am, and, and I'm sitting there trying not to act like I did something really stupid, but I did. And, and it's just like, <laughs> and you know, trying to like casually cough it away, but really for like the next 10 minutes of like tearing up and, and gagging as this stuff was like blown back in my face. And I can just imagine like a bear sitting over on the side, just watching me, like shaking its head, like you have no idea what you're, I could come eat you right now. This wouldn't be a big deal. Um, and, and I was thinking about that, like, you know, when Solomon is talking about this, this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, we believe Solomon wrote it. Um, he, he's talking about how life, when we chase after something, when we run with all our intensity towards something in life that's not God, it kind of has this, this part of it that blows back on us. There's this part of it that, that we didn't see. There's this part of it that we didn't anticipate. And it, and it leaves us dissatisfied. It leaves us kind of compromised in life. And so we've been looking at different things that you can run after in life. And, and if you chase after them, if you chase after pleasure, if you chase after you know, how to use your time and make it all about yourself. And this morning, we're going to talk about wealth and what happens if you chase after money and stuff, what it does to you. And what we don't realize is that when we chase after money and stuff, there's a part of it that blows back on us and it affects us in a negative way that, that the teacher is going to say, look, if you're not careful when it comes to money and stuff, if you're not careful, if, if you don't put some boundaries up, if you don't limit the role of this in, in life, if, if, if you're not cautious about how much you look to it for security and for satisfaction, it'll actually do much more harm than good. And so let's check it out. Uh, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you want to follow along in your Bible, or it'll be up here. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, what happens when money and stuff becomes a point of life? And, and let's be honest, like th this, is, this is part of our culture. Like our culture just lives on this. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5 speaks right to the heart of it. Um, he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the, to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners." 
or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and so everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. What do they gain since, they're to- since they toil for the wind? All of the day- their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I observe to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives, them, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Let's pray. Um, God, as we look at a text that really just has so much to say to us living in society at this point in history, Lord, we have such an abundance of of finances and and, and stuff and, and Lord, it's so easy to make that the thing that brings us security. It's so easy for us to make that the thing that, that just we chase after in life. And I pray that we would bring it back into balance. That while money is just kind of a necessary part of being alive, it'll never do what you do. And I pray that we keep our hearts there. In your son's name we pray. Amen. See, what Solomon is going to do here is it's really, and, and we've talked about this, this is in some ways going to sound very sim- similar to the other sermons in this series, where he's going to address the problems of chasing after something as if it is the ultimate, what happens when it becomes the ultimate, and then he brings it back into balance to say that this isn't a bad thing, it just, it just becomes bad if we let it get too much of us. Right? Same with the other things that we've looked at so far. And this one in particular is, is really quite fascinating to me because from my perspective, you know, I've been alive basically for 40 years now, I've seen so many issues in life come down to the issue of money and how it has a piece of our heart because money gains us a sense of control. It gains us a sense of certainty. If we have enough money, then we don't have to worry about a lot of things. But, but the scriptures cut through that. In fact, you see in the Gospels, Jesus says oftentimes about a parable of a person who thinks they're secure because of what they have. Or they attach their, their freedom from anxiety to the things that they can buy. And he says, be careful. We live in a world where, where thieves break in and steal, where, where rusts and moths destroy. And so Solomon has this sort of list of, of, of drawbacks to, to what chasing after money and what loving money and the things that money can do for you in life. He has this sort of list of drawbacks to what happens when we make that the point of life. And it reminds me of when I was a little kid and, and my parents would get us a video game. We'd get a video game and, and it was all about defeating and beating that game. And so we'd invest hour after hour playing this game. And I remember one game in particular, we couldn't figure it out. And we spent so much time as kids. And, you know, I would take a turn and my brother would take a turn and then my brother would take a turn. And, and just we could never beat it. And then years later, um, Google became a thing. And, and I, I was like, I, I got to figure out how to beat Shinobi. Shinobi was the ninja video game, and I was like, I got to figure out how to do it. And so I Googled how to beat Shinobi, and I watched it, and I was like, 
that's, that's how you beat it? It's like, you got to stand here instead of here, and that's, that's it? And then, then I was like, well, I'm going to keep watching to see what, like, the end of the video game was. And it, it came up, and it was like, the end. I was like, we spent so much time chasing after the end. Like, it just could not live up to all the amount of effort and energy and intensity that we poured into it. And, and Solomon says, look, be careful. Like, if you chase after money and stuff as if gaining it is going to make you feel a certain way, it's going to let you achieve a certain place in life, you've been fooled. You've invested too much into your heart, into a category when it cannot satisfy you. And so he says that, that money and stuff, they cannot satisfy you when you are looking to be chiefly satisfied by it. Whoever loves money will never have enough. They'll never be satisfied. He calls this another, another hevel. If you've, you've been with us for a couple of weeks, the word hevel is this idea of this, this vapor. It's, it's empty. It's pointless. It just goes away before you really even get a chance to get it. Connor was talking last week when he preached about, like, you, like we try to wrestle the hevel, but it's like wrestling mist, and you can't, you can't do that. Um, and, and so there's always something else that you're going to want. There's always something more that you're going to wish that you could have. And so the teacher wants us to see money and wealth, and, and, and he wants us to see it almost like a mirage in the desert, that I get a little bit closer, and it's going to be there. I get a little bit closer. Oh, it's just, it's just over the next sand dune. It's just over the next. It's just ahead of us, and it's, it's never really there. And, and so... Um, it doesn't bring us what we think it will bring us, at least not for very long. In fact, I was reading a book and I came across a quote from a secular philosopher named Jonathan Haidt. And he talks about, he talks about this. And it's interesting how often so many of the world's secular philosophers, the leading secular philosophers, sound very much like Solomon who wrote thousands of years ago. And how the scripture just accurately portrays the condition of the human heart. But he, he talks about what we, what we think where we think that money is really directly correlated to happiness. That if I get more money, then I'll be, more, I'll, I'll be happier. And he, he says this, wealth itself has only a small direct effect on happiness because it so effectively speeds up the, the hedonic treadmill. In other words, what he says is, is, is that money has only this little tiny direct effect on your happiness. Because what it does is the more that you get, the more that you have a desire to use it and to spend it and to, to gain stuff. And the more stuff that you have, the more stuff that you want. The more stuff that you can buy, the more stuff that you can dream of buying. So he says it just kind of speeds up the treadmill of life. When we chase after money, we get stuck in this, in this cycle of coveting where our hearts just grow into this desire to want more and more and more. And there's something else out there. There's something new. If I had a little bit of money, I could get this. I could do that. There's something about this treadmill that speeds up. And, and, and so then you look at life and, and you ask yourself, would I want what I want? Would I want what I want if I didn't have what I have? Would I want what I want if I don't have what I have? There's something about the more that I have that it causes me to want something else and something more because it speeds up this treadmill. And so 
what Solomon says 2,000 years before Jonathan Haidt says is, is that there's, there's no correlation between happiness and wealth, at least, at least not very much. And if you think through your own experience in life, is that true? Did you need money and did you need stuff to be the thing that made you truly happy? I remember being in the Dominican Republic and walking around and people who made houses out of things that I would have thrown out of. Like they, they've got, you know, cinder blocks that are falling apart. They've got tin that's rusted through for a ceiling. There's no plumbing. There's, there's no wiring except for maybe like a cable just strung over top of the, the tin roof. And, and, and yet they're happy. And they're happy. And I would look at it, and if I moved there, if God called me there, I, I'd be like, all right, step number one, we've got to get some two-by-four framing in here. How else are we going to run the pecs for the plumbing? And then, then we're going to need somewhere for the air conditioning. So we're going to have to get a circuit breaker in here. And I mean, I can't walk around. I'm going to need a car. And I'm, I'm going to need, I'm going to need. And the, the treadmill speeds up. And the chase kicks up. Because I feel that I need so much in order to be happy. And the teacher says, whoa. You've got to realize the way that sin has broken your heart that you start on this treadmill, and if you're not careful to set the pace, you're going to speed up and keep going and keep going. And it, it's got these, these things that are drawbacks. It just blows back onto you in a way that you didn't anticipate. He says the more goods you have, the more people want to consume them. And you think about Solomon's perspective in life. When he becomes king, you know what he gets? A lot of friends. I, maybe I should say it this way. When he becomes king, he gets a lot of friends. He gets a lot of people who want to be around him, who want to, oh, yeah, Solomon, buddy. <laughs> you remember me, right? We, we should hang out sometime. You see this all the time with professional athletes who, who, live the, who have these careers where they make millions and millions of dollars, and they get on the other side, and they don't have any money. What happened? Everybody around them wanted their money. And they chased after pleasing them, and they, they gave it away. And, and so Solomon saw that as he grew in power, he grew in wealth, he grew in friends. He grew in people that wanted to consume his good. And so as Solomon looks at this chase, he realizes something, that wealth can be an irritant to peace. That wealth can, wealth can annoy peace. That if, that if peace is over here, wealth is like the annoying younger sibling that just won't let it have a good time. It just, it just nags at the idea of what peace is because there's something to worry about. There's somewhere it could go. There's something that could go wrong. What if I can't get? What if it goes away? What if somebody takes it? What if I die? What's gonna happen to it all? That wealth has this, this irritating effect to peace. You know, you know it's like to me, if, if peace is over here, wealth is like a splinter in peace. It's a splinter. You ever have a splinter, like where you're outside and you're working in the garden, you get a thorn in your finger, and, and it's just, it hurts, it annoys. There's something about it that, that when, it, when you touch it, I remember as a kid reading a Sunday morning comic strip where I think it was Ziggy went to a doctor and he said, everything I touch hurts when I touch it. And the doctor says, yeah, you got a splinter in your finger. It's irritating. 
As a kid, one time I was sitting on a, I was at camp and I was sitting on a, a picnic table, this old picnic table, and the wood was kind of falling apart. And I was sitting down and somebody said, hey, let me sit next to you. And I was like, okay. And I slid down. Yeah. And you can see where this, I'm trying not to be too graphic here. But the rest of the afternoon was spent with a little old lady in the camp nurse's office pulling an inch long splinter out of, you can figure that out. It's irritating, it's annoying, and, and Solomon says, look, if you chase after wealth, if you find your security there, if you find your satisfaction and your hope and your contentment in life and what you can buy and what you have, it's like a, it's like a splinter in you. And man, it just irritates you. He says, the abundance of wealth permits them no sleep. Wealth is hoarded to the harm of their owners. They're worrying about wealth lost through misfortune. Wealth passed on to those who don't care. He says, if that's not enough, you, you can't take it with you. Uh, Michael Eaton writes about this. He says, at last, a person takes quite exactly, the Hebrew is emphatic, what he brought. Nothing. My in-laws had their neighbor of, you know, 60, 70 years, passed away not long ago. He's a farmer. And uh, they had to auction off the farm and auction off everything that he had worked for his entire life. And things that he slaved in the, in the farmer's field out there, working in the heat of the summer, and he spent his hard-earned money for. And a group of guys are bidding 25, 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars, sold for three dollars. He spent so much time. You can't take it with you. Solomon says, wow, what, like, what's the resolution to this? I mean, you still need money, right? You, you're not going to go home and just give away all your money. If so, call me. Um, you, you can't just give it. You still need it. And so there's two, two primary concepts that he pulls back, and he, he says, all right, so, so here's how we balance this. It can't be what you chase after. The treadmill just keeps going. It's got to be something else. It's got to be not the point of life, but a component of life. And so to help it fall in its place, Solomon talks about, about one, one our, lot, our lot in life, and two, our occupation in life. And so we start with our lot in life. In Ecclesiastes 5.18, let's, let's read it again. This is what I observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and drink. We've been talking, that's, that's to spend time with the people that you love. And to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. That's a key word in the book of Ecclesiastes. Their lot. It's their, it's their portion. Like if you're going through the food line, you had your tray out there, and, and they gave you your portion. And you might say, oh, I want more. And Solomon says, that's the problem. We keep wanting more all the time. But that desire for more is part of what and keep, prevents us from being satisfied. He says there's only, there, there, essentially, there's only so much that you can get out of life. There's only so many days. There's only so many opportunities. And his fear is that in our desire to get more on our plate, more on our tray, that we'll miss out on appreciating what God has already given us. That there's this desire for more money and stuff, and in the process, we'll miss out on the reward itself, which is to step back from it all and to appreciate God and what he's blessed us with. And there's so much power in that. We, we, we think, we, we've got it backwards. We think that 
meant money that I'll work hard so that I can gain more stuff. And Solomon says, that's not, that's not the point. The point is that you, you toil under the sun so that you can enjoy what God has given you. The gift is not the stuff. The gift is the ability to enjoy it. I know that sounds simple, but man, it's powerful if you work it out. The gift, the point of it is not to get more and more and more. The point is to be able to say, God has blessed me. How incredible is he? The ability to be satisfied with what God has given is the truest enjoyment in life. The ability to say, life is a gift from God. He's given me another day. As Connor talked about last week, we value life. We value the opportunity to, to breathe under the sun. But, but it's about spending time with people. It's about following God in life where the real reward is to enjoy the satisfaction of knowing God and knowing that this is my portion. And within that, there's an endless amount of being able to be satisfied. And the freedom comes, we don't always have to be waning or wanting something more. We don't always have to be wanting. We can step back and say, God, I'm just thankful. And here, here's what the teacher sees that's so powerful uh, about chasing. That, that when we chase this area of life, when we chase a, a financial pinnacle, when we chase a, a, a material possession, a career goal, when we chase after, maybe you're the workaholic that just chases after pleasing everybody else and, and someone. When we chase after, when we're chasing, chasing pulls us away from gratitude. It pulls us away, the, the need for more pulls us away from a place where we're thankful for what we have. And when it pulls us away from being thankful, it inevitably pulls us away from being satisfied. Because there's something about gratitude and satisfaction that go hand in hand in the scriptures. There's so many texts about be thankful, give thanks, that we would, we would be a people who are just grateful. And satisfaction is wrapped up in gratitude much more than it is in a pursuit of life. Or from Solomon's perspective, chasing, it, it, it lacks gratitude and satisfaction, and it becomes something different. It becomes something tormenting to us. The need to always want is a need to always be dissatisfied. There's always something missing. Solomon says, whoa, whoa. Like, look, look at your lot. You can't possibly think that all this, just getting more and getting more, is going to be the thing that satisfies you. The more that you need it, the more that it makes you feel incomplete. And when you get one thing, you need another. And all for what? For one day to leave it all to somebody who may not appreciate it. So this can't be the point of life. No, no, the point of, of life is, is that we would appreciate what God has given us and to be thankful in our days under the sun. See, wealth can either be a component of a grateful life or it can be the point of a disgruntled life. It can be the, the component of a grateful life, or it, 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 can be, it can be the point of a disgruntled life, where we can pursue things in life if we don't become, and if we don't become quite good at being content and finding contentment, there will always be a part of us that's just slightly dissatisfied. We talked about this in the series where Solomon is, he's envisioning somebody chasing after the wind. And it's empty and it's meaningless. And, and, and you know what we become? We become the chef 
who is always busy preparing something but never stops to enjoy his own meal. He's always cooking for somebody else. He's always trying to put something else on the stove and he never sits down to enjoy his own meal. The ability to just sit down and find satisfaction under the sun in the lot God has given. It sounds so counter to how I was raised from a societal standpoint. My parents didn't teach me this, but the idea that, that you just gotta follow your dreams, you just gotta chase after things in life, and, and they're just saying the exact opposite of what Solomon is saying. You could keep chasing, and you'll never get there. Or you can say, life can only make me so happy, so I might as well let it make me happy. And what happens is, what happens is when we find contentment there, there's something that occupies our heart. And there's kind of a play on words here. When we talk about occupation, we think of our job and what keeps us busy. When he talks about occupation, he's not talking about your nine to five. He's talking about like what occupies your heart, what occupy, what's going on in your heart all the time. And so, so I could ask you, what is it that occupies your heart? What, what keeps calling for your attention? What keeps saying, look at me, think about me, you know, go here, do this? What, what controls your heart? Where Solomon in Ecclesiastes says that they seldom reflect on the days of their life. This is the wise. This is the person who's figured it out. They seldom reflect on the days of their life. Now, let me just pause what he means by that. He's saying they, they don't get caught up in the hevel. Remember to him, life is kind of this meaningless, this vapor that just disappears. He says they seldom reflect on that because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. What would you rather have for the next 10 years? Everything you ever wanted or the ability to be content with what you had? Which would you rather have? Everything you ever wanted or the ability to be content with what you had? Because I think those are two very different things. I think one is just about availability. I think the other is about maturity. I think the other is about contentment. And I think there's something much greater in that where we can step back and say that I can be content with my lot and let gladness be what occupies my heart. To, to just appreciate God and all his glory and all his strength and all his majesty and everything that he's blessed me with as a follower of his, to, where, where I'm forgiven of my sins, I'm, I'm a child of God, I'm promised life forever. So Jesus says that when you believe in him, you cross over from life, uh, from death to life. Where, where do I let my heart go to find its deepest satisfaction? You know what's amazing is some of the most, uh, and, and this, is really, this is really humbling for me, but some of, the, some of the people who were most satisfied with God and how he's blessed them in life had far less than what I did. Far less. Not like they were just a little bit behind financially. Like they just had far less. But they had this incredible ability to just be thankful for whatever God provided them with. And, and so, so then we think about that. Like, what is it about this then if somebody with less than us can be occupied with the gladness of heart? What's the difference there? What, what is it? What muddies the water, so to speak, so that I don't see what they see? And, and so I think about this, and I, I think, I don't, I don't think they quite see God the same way that I see God. And here's what I mean by that. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. Paul writes, and he's talking about sort of the similar thing of, of chasing after comfort and chasing after things in life to, to give us 
this, this contentment, and he says something that's really incredibly revealing. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So I've been in, I've been in the, the polar opposite places in life. I've learned the secret of being content in, every, and in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Let's read that again. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What is the secret? The secret is this. I can do all this through, through Jesus who gives me strength. In other words, the secret of contentment is not stuff. It's not circumstances, it's not dollars and cents, it's not, it's not security that finances can bring me. Contentment for Paul has a direct correlation to reliance upon Jesus Christ and how much we truly rely on him, how much we rest in his love to be what satisfies us, how much we see his provision to be what really provides for us, how much his security is really what makes us feel secure. And it just wipes away so many of the things that we chase after. And, and, and really, the more that I find myself relying on Jesus, the more that, that that's who I am and just walking in him and not my ability to provide, not my wisdom, not, not anything I can do, but just fully relying on him, the more it's, it's like heaven becomes real to me. Because that's where true contentment is. Solomon elsewhere, he, he says to God, he says, God, don't give me too much that I might forget about you. Don't give me too little that I might steal, but don't give me too much that I might forget about you. In other words, what Solomon sees is that the more that we have, there's, there's, this, there's this part of us that begins to not need to remember God so much, that needs to not rely on him so much. Solomon says, God, don't, don't give me so much that I might neglect to rely on you in life. We've got basically a whole country that's gotten so much that they've forgotten about God. And it's so incredibly challenging for anybody to follow after God. What does Jesus say about the rich man entering the kingdom of heaven? Man, it's so incredibly difficult. It'd be easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle. Why? Because, because wealth deceives us. And it makes us think that this is all about us and we just, we depend on ourselves and our ability to manage and, and to, to care for our future. And, and God says, yeah, but you're never gonna be content because this isn't about you. It's about me. It's about a companionship and a relationship where you trust me one step at a time. And contentment is just, it's become so foreign. It's, it's like, it's like the endangered species in our country. Somebody who says, I don't need more. I don't crave more. Can you imagine at a funeral how, how, just, how rare it would be for somebody to stand up and say, you know what, they didn't have much because they didn't need much. They were just really content all the time. They just were satisfied. And so what's interesting is Solomon goes, look, you can, you can have all this stuff and you can give it and maybe they don't even appreciate it. Maybe the real legacy we need to be concerned with is the ability to be content in reliance upon Jesus Christ.
to say, son, I actually didn't store up a bunch of stuff to give you. But the greatest thing I can give you isn't financial at all. It's the ability to find true contentment in Jesus Christ. Where impulse after impulse where comes my way and I want to spend and I want to buy and I want to get and I want to get. But that's not going to satisfy. That just kicks up the treadmill another notch. I'm not a big treadmill guy. But I can imagine how annoying it would be if somebody else was just standing there next to you while you were running and just every so often just hit the little button so you had to run a little faster and just a little faster and a little faster. And, and then it's like you're exhausted. And man, let's just be real. Our culture is exhausted because we keep chasing after stuff as if it's going to give us what we, what we want. I knew a missionary one time who who uh, he, he talk about money and stuff, and, and he preached one time to a group of, uh, group of young adults, and, and I remember him saying, I'll never forget it, he said, he said we, we run so much after money and stuff, you know what money and stuff, you know what they are? They're tools for Jesus. They're tools for Jesus. That's, where, that's really what it's about. The ability to say, God, you've given me this so I can use this for your kingdom. The ability to be satisfied with one's lot in life. I'm a, I'm a baseball fan, and uh, I, I, part of being a baseball fan is there's the teams that you like and the teams that you don't like. And uh, sorry, Phillies fans, I don't like the Phillies, but maybe the team that I don't like even more than the Phillies is the New York Mets. I, if you like the Mets, there are other churches in this world for you. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You can stay. You got to go somewhere where they preach truth, you know. So, uh, but the, but the Mets, uh, the Mets. Uh, there's one. There's this laughable thing for where every uh, every July first, they keep paying a player to play for them. Only he stopped playing 30 years ago. He signed a contract where where just out of desperation they wanted this player and they signed. His name's Bobby Bonilla and they agreed they agreed instead of paying him five million dollars that day that they would pay him one point two million dollars every year for the next thirty years. And so to this day, Bobby Bonilla is one of the highest played paid players on the New York Mets even though he's probably sitting on a beach somewhere. And I, I find it hilarious as, as, an, as a non-Mets fan. And I was reading an article about this, and one of the reasons that they got into this is because the Mets owners wanted to set aside money because they thought they had this new investment that could give them more than 8%, which they were giving Benia. They thought they could give him more, they could get more in return from this guy, Bernie Madoff. If you know anything about Bernie Madoff, he's the biggest Ponzi scam guy and in history, right? He, he scammed them, scammed the New York Mets. And so they're left paying every year $1.2 million. I was reading an article about it, and it says uh, this guy, uh, Greg Lechurchy, writes, he says, Benia's deal shows how Americans can benefit from in the long term by tempering a short-term impulse. So much of what gets us is this, this, I see it and I want it. I hear about it and I need it. And, and here's, man, I, I just would love for you to get off the treadmill and for you to be able to enjoy life for what it is and what God has given you for who he is. Let contentment, let contentment soothe the desires of impulse. Let it soothe the desires of impulse because there's that need, there's that hunger that comes up. And just step back and remember who you are in Christ. Remember what he's given you. Remember what this life can possibly give you. And say, I... I know if I get that, it might be a component of life.
but it's not going to make me as happy as I think it will. It's not going to satisfy me as much as I, as I want it to. In fact, if I get that, in some ways, it will actually be a little bit irritating and annoying. And it'll make it a little bit harder for me to have peace. I'm not saying don't buy anything. I'm just saying you've got to look at life for what it is. You've got to be wise enough in a culture that's just been duped into saying the mirage is real. Say, no, no, no. Jesus Christ and his love is real. And his heart for me is what satisfies me. He is what brings genuine contentment. So he's the one I run after. It's all about him. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I pray, Lord, that each one of us, I know, I know, and myself included, Lord, it's so easy to want in a culture where there's so much to want. But at the end of the day, there's just something beautiful about sitting back and saying, you've given me what you've given me. And I can enjoy it and can be, be satisfied. And I can run after you and not in what this world can give me because one day, Lord, somebody else is gonna get it or it's gonna break down or it's gonna go away or, or whatever. But there's one thing that's not gonna fail me and that's you. And I pray, Lord, that your love would be what we chase in life. In your son's name we pray, amen. Mm-hmm.